Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yordana Asman, here with my friend, Ruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Psachim, daf Tzadi Gimel, 93. So the Gemara here, I think, really is getting into an essential piece during its discussion of Pesach Sheni, which is what's really the nature of Pesach Sheni and how do shown and Pesach Sheni relate to each other. And it's going to explain basically a three-way machlokas. Tana Rabbanan, the rabbis teach us in a brisa. Chayev karet al harishon, v'chayev karet al hasheni. So somebody can get the punishment of karet, right? And again, what exactly that means, you know, that your soul is cut off or somehow you have separated yourself from the Jewish people. And it really makes sense in terms of, you know, the Korban Pesach, uh, that that would be the case. Because in a way, what the Korban Pesach is every year, it is sort of reaffirming your connection to the Jewish people. So if you choose not to participate in that, you know, the punishment is you're sort of cut off from your people. So if you don't do the first pace, you know, the Rishon, you get karate. If you don't do the second, you get karate. This is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, dear Rabbi. Rabbi Natan Omer Chayab Karit Ala Rishon, Upator Ala Sheni. Rabbi Natan says you're Chayab for Karit if you, and again, this is if you deliberately choose not to do uh, the first Korban Pesach in uh, Nisan, but you are Pator if you don't do the second one uh, in, in ER. Um, so in other words, and, and again, we'll get to what the reasons for that is in a second. Um, Rabbi Hanina ben Ya ben Akzia Omer, Ab al Harishon Eino Chayav Karet Ela Im Kain Loasa Etasheni. So he has a very interesting view, which is you don't get Karet right for not doing the first one. It's only if you deliberately didn't do the second one. So in other words, if you didn't do the first one, you have an you're not automatically in the Karet status. You have an opportunity to make it up in the second one. And if you fail to do both of them on purpose, then you would be high of Kare. And then the Gemara is going to go on, right? And say who, uh, the right? What each one is following their own view. Ditanya, right? And now they have another brace here. Right? Let's say you have somebody who converts. And I thought this was just a great Shaila, right? Like just a great halachic scenario here. You have somebody who converts between Nisan and Iyar, between the two dates here, right? Or somebody, and I have a child who's born three days after the first Pesach, actually, so he would fall in this category. Um, or somebody who becomes, a, you know, Gil Mitzvot, who becomes a Bar Mitzvah or Bat Mitzvah between the two Pesachs, right? Are they Chayav, right? They're Chayav Lasso Pesach Sheni. They actually have to do this Pesach Sheni, Divrei Rabbi. That's what Rabbi Huda Hanasi says. Rabbi Natan Omer Kosher Zakukla Rishon Zakukla Sheni. Rabbi Natan says no. If you weren't requ- if you were required to do the first one, you're going to be required to do the second one. But in other words, what he's saying is the second one is only there if you had the requirement for the first one. So these this group of people they were never obligated in the first one. So their first Pesach obligation is not going to kick in until the following Nisan. And finally, right, because right? who's ever not required with the first Pesach is not required with the second Pesach. So again, they're bringing this price to the show. It doesn't have the third opinion here, right? But for at least the first two opinions, it's trying to tease out for us what's the relationship between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. And so the Gemara now goes on to explain the reasons behind these three opinions. But my comma, Fliege, right? And what, what do they disagree about? Rabbi Savar, right? Rabbi Huda Nasi believes, you know, uh, Sheni Regal Bifne Atzmohu, 
right? That the Pesach Sheni is its own regal. It's really its own holiday. And that in a certain way, it's not connected to the Pesach Rishon. Rabbi Natan Sabar, Sheni Tashlumim de Rishon Hu, Takune la Rishon lo mitaken le. So Rabbi Natan holds that the second Pesach is really, it's like a substitute for the first one, right? But it doesn't make up for not doing the first one. So that's why, you know, he would hold, therefore, uh, that you would get curried for not doing the first one. Because in other words, you didn't do the first one if you didn't do the first one. You were, you know, it was bemazed. The second one is just there for you to, you know, to be able to do it. But it doesn't forgive you or get you off the hook for deliberately not doing uh, the Pesach Rishon um, in Nissan. And therefore, that also makes sense with the Gare, where somebody who, you know, becomes Gilmitzvot in between because the Pesach Sheni is there for you only because you are obligated with that Pesach Rishon. And then finally, Barabi uh, Hananya ben Akavia, right? He says, Sabar Sheni Takanta Derishonu. He holds that the second Pesach makes up for, right? It, it's a tikkun. It, it fixes not having given uh, the first one. And so therefore it makes sense that, right? He says, you're not even going to get, you don't get karis at all if you don't bring that that first one. Um, so it's just, it's very interesting to see sort of these three different approaches to what's actually the relationship between uh, the first Pesach and the second Pesach. And again, I actually feel Rabbi Yehuda Hanasiz is really the most innovative, right? That you're really saying that in a way they're two totally disconnected ones and, you know, that both not, you're, you could be high of courage for both of them. So again, so I, again I think what it would mean is, is that, sorry, is that like, let's say you sort of had, you were tummy, you know, for the first one, so you didn't have to do it, but you purposefully didn't bring the second one, you're high of courage. And I, I, again, to me, that was the bigger chiddush of the three. I do think it's the bigger chiddush. I think that intuitively, or maybe this is just the default that I, I always relate to Pesach Sheni as the, the makeup, right? Like in Israel, we call it Moed Bet. If you have an exam and, and you, uh, for whatever reason, you can't take the test in the first zone, so they have Moed Bet, which is not such a thing in American universities, but they have it here, I guess, primarily because of the army, right? If somebody's in the army, then they can't, um, then they can't always make it to take their final exam, so they have a second session. But people take it because they didn't pass the first test. They'll do it again. They get married. Who knows? Whatever, right? Like you can make it up for whatever reason. Now, obviously, for the Kom Pesach, you can't go to a Pesach Sheni because you feel like it, right? Because you just didn't want to bother with it in Nissan. But but it still feels to me like it's a makeup exam as opposed to it being a whole new holiday of its own accord. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's uh, this Gemara really elucidated this for me differently, because like you, I always thought it was a makeup. And it was really interesting to see that there's actually three different approaches to that. So I'm going to take this and carry on to the Mishnah. We've got a Mishnah in the middle of our daf here. Um, the issue is as follows, right? There's several different reasons, as we just described, but, you know, we've also been talking about it now for a few days. There's several different reasons why one might end up bringing a Korban and Pesach Sheni, right? The obvious that we've talked about is, you know, if you're Tame for whatever reason on Pesach Rishon, then you automatically get that obligation to then bring Pesach Sheni, right? Assuming that you're not going to be Tame then as well. But the other case that we've talked about in the past few days is if you were away, meaning you're far enough away that for whatever reason, you're just not, it's not going to be feasible for you to make it back. You are then not obligated to bring a Korban Pesach for the re for carbon 
for Rishon, right, in Nisan, because you're not there. So then you, you know, have the opportunity to make it up with the Pesach Sheini. And what we talked about previously was that if you get back and you decide, you know what, I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to bring it. Even if you end up not being able to, then you don't necessarily have the obligation of the Pesach Sheini, which puts it in a distinction, you know, in a distinct case as compared to being Tameh, or for sure Tameh, like locally. Anyway, what we've got here now is a mission that's talking specifically about what does it mean that you're far away, that you've gone traveling. What is the definition of a distant journey? How far does that have to be? And it's not as far as you might think. This is not, well, you know, there's another category of a distant journey in the Gemara, which is called Medinat Hayam, right? Like you have gone over the ocean and far away. So this is not that far. So Rabbi Akiva's position is that anywhere from the city of Modi'in and beyond, and from anywhere located at that distance from Jerusalem, you know, you can make a circle, draw a circle around Jerusalem, the distance of Modi'in, which is not necessarily exactly the modern city of Modi'in, and beyond it in every direction, right? And then that is how you end up um, determining that's the derech chokka, and why it's that specific distance is going to you know we're still going to have to talk about it of course, uh, but the point is that that is um, that makes like a circle a circumference around Jerusalem. All of that is the outer limits of you know after that is really derech chokka. So uh, the we're going to talk about when we get to the gemara. I guess we'll talk about exactly why this is why that is the distance. Rabbi Lezer so Rabbi Lezer says, we're talking about the threshold of the courtyard of the temple, right? And anywhere beyond that is considered a distant journey. Now that's a totally different scale than saying a circumference that reaches all the way around Jerusalem at however many mil, you know, 15 mil, I think, outside, well, this is, you know, from the threshold of the temple courtyard, and then anything outside of that is considered the distant journey, which means that as long as you are outside of the courtyard at the time that your Korban Pesach is being shechted, then you are technically exempt from that first Pesach, which, talk about, you know, a new take on things. I found this position of Rabbi Lezer to be really kind of startling, at the very least. Um, so Rabbi Yossi says to him, one second, Lafichaf Nakud al Hey. I read it Hashem, it's really Hey. Lafichaf Nakud al Hey. The letter Hey in the word Rechoka uh, has a dot on top of it in the Torah, in the writing of the actual Torah. To distinguish between the far that is just outside the Azarad, that is just outside the courtyard, and the far that is actually far. Uh, the dots, let's talk about this for one second. There are a number of letters in the Torah that are, meaning in the actual scroll of the Torah that are written and the calligraphy that gives them a different, slightly different appearance. Some of them get dots on top of them. Some of them, you know, we have a few letters that you'll know to be written much larger or much smaller. Vayikra, at the very beginning of the book of Vayikra, the Aleph is small in the word Vayikra. In Shema, meaning Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, the ayin is big and the dalit is big, right? These are these are known uh, features, I guess, of the different letters. So some of them have these special dots on top of them. One of the rationales is 
you know, there's something Kabbalistic about all of this. And one of the rationales, meaning of different interpretations, one of the rationales is that um, you can tell if you have a Sefer Torah that was not written in all of its detail, if any of these details are askew, if they're not there. Right. So Rebiosi's point here is that we're going to learn from it. We're going to learn from this particular dot that's on top of the hay. We're talking about that's a really distant farness, really distant distance. But then, which is not the case when we're talking about somebody who's located from the threshold of the courtyard of the temple to outside of that, um, which is obviously. Uh, a near distance, but it's, I would say, perhaps it's a representative of a spiritual distance or something like that, where we're going to say, but you're there, you're there with the Korban Pesach, or you are outside of it. And that puts you in an entirely different category with regard to your obligation for the Korban Pesach, in which case Pesach Sheni might indeed then kick in. Um, so I just want to note that in the Gemara here, and I'm not going to read through it, but basically it goes, there's a lot of discussion of you know, why this specific distance why, you know, according to Rabbi Akiva, and we paskin like Rabbi Akiva here, what is the, what is this distance in terms of from Modi'in and all the way around? And the idea seems to be that that is the time by which if you got up at sun, sunrise and you started walking to get to Yerushalayim, to get to the temple in time, to start, before they start shechting the Korban Pesach, that's how long it would take you. So, I would say, you know, you have to be able to handle the terrain or whatever it's going to be. But the idea is that that's the distance that is just outside that which would get you there on time. If you're not going to be able to get back in time that day, then you are too far to be obligated in the Korban Pesach, which I found to be very practical, you know, in terms of, and then it also makes sense to me that now we're going to give you the chance to, if you want to participate, we'll let you try to participate. And you're not going to have courage if you, if you then don't do Pesach Sheni, that you have not incurred the obligation of doing Pesach Sheni in the same way somebody who is Tame and therefore completely ineligible for the Pesach Rishon uh, would be. What I loved about this passage and this whole daf here after the Gemara is it shows two great methods of how things are worked out or figured out, right? Like Ula has this whole calculation, you know, how do you figure out what the actual distances and then you know there's also this piece of looking at the dot that's on the word um and it just to me it like sort of combined um you know two really nice like just how smart they all were you know because when you first read the mission you're like well how are they going to define what Ruckel, like where did they come up with that distance um and it just it's so neatly explained when it gets to the actual gemara itself oh yes it's even neater than that because i didn't read through it but you know the the way they parse out the 15 meal, you know, from this point of sunrise till that point of, I'm sorry, from from dawn, the earliest time, Alot HaShachar, until sunrise, we're going to call that from Alot HaShachar until Netzachama, we're going to, you can walk five meal. Like, really? So again, I have to remind myself that meal is not exactly a mile, the way we think of it nowadays. It's simply the measurement. It's actually shorter than a mile, right? But the idea is that you could you can traverse that distance and then they're going to map out the next five and the next five and so lo and behold you get to 15 and that's how how that's Derek it is a fair distance according you know this Rebbe Kiva yeah, position. I mean also certainly a fair distance for that time and how people had to travel today with cars not a far distance three minutes right exactly but and then and I think that there's something really 
beautiful, if not practical, about Rebbe Lezer's position that we're talking about, you know, his view that you are, Derchokoka means you are outside of all of the doings of the Korban Pesach. You know, you're not part of them, so you're not part of them. Right. But again, it gets into the piece of, which I think is always the tension, which is, could a group sort of shuck the animal for you and could you get there in time? And that's why I think his cutoff of Chatzot is so interesting. Yes, indeed. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Time with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 